Good morning. My name is Katya Fort Roden, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm a member of your Board of Trustees, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors, as it is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers whose incredible efforts and dedication help us to stay connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here today. 
We particularly welcome any guests joining worship this morning. We encourage you to fill out the visitors form in the lobby or online and connect with others in the virtual or in-person social hour after their services so that we may meet you and welcome you. Finally, for those attending worship in our sanctuary at Owen Brown Interface Center this morning, please take a moment to silent your phones and other electronic devices. It takes many hands and hearts to welcome all who enter our virtual or in-person sanctuary on Sunday mornings. Now that we are gathering in person and online, we are in definite need of congregational volunteer support in order to create a welcoming, joyful environment for our guests and friends. Please connect with staff member Hannah Nelson to learn more. The 42nd UUCC auction is coming right up on November 13th, and the auction team is gratefully receiving your donations to be added to the auction catalog. Through next Sunday, October 31st, we invite you to consider hosting a dinner, a game night, or other gathering in person or online. Now is your chance to clear out quality, good condition items that might be ready for a new home. Maybe show off your crafts or your artwork. You can find the donation form on the auction webpage and feel free to connect with the auction team at auction at UUCCColumbia.net for more information and for help thinking through your donation ideas. And now I hand you over to Mary Rogers for a special announcement. Hurricanes, floods, forest fires, and legislation. It seems like climate crisis is in the news almost daily. The UUCC Climate Crisis Team's annual meeting will be on Sunday, November the 7th at 4 o'clock via Zoom. After a quick review of the 2021's activities, our main act focus will be planning for 2022. What are the most important and effective ways we as members of UUCC can help with the climate crisis? This is a participatory meeting and we believe that there'll be something for everyone. If you have any ideas, expertise, or questions, please contact us and we're putting the contact info into the chat as well. Um, we hope that you'll join us on November the 7th. Thank you, Katya. Thank you, Mary. Good morning, everyone. My name is Paige Getty. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and it is my great pleasure and privilege to serve as minister of this congregation and to be worshiping with all of you this morning, whether you are here in this sanctuary that's getting fuller every Sunday or with us virtually from somewhere else in this county or the country or the world. A few housekeeping notes in addition to what you heard from Katya already. You can find the order of service online using either the link that will be placed in the chat or using the QR codes that are posted here in the building. Good morning. In including on the slide that's getting ready to appear on the screen. 
Later in the service, actually quite early in the service today, we're going to be honoring the personal joys and sorrows of members of the community. So please go to the back of the sanctuary and write your joy or sorrow in the book there or send it by email to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. If you're a guest today, please complete the visitor form so that we're better able to stay in touch with one another throughout the week and the year. For those of you here in the sanctuary, if you're in need of a hearing assist device, those are available from the tech booth in the back. And finally, just to remind you that there have been some questions about our protocol here in the sanctuary, and at least for the time being, what we are doing is everyone in the sanctuary is remaining masked throughout the entire service, except for speakers when they're on the chancel, they are invited to remove their mask if they are fully vaccinated and if they choose to remove their mask, but they are not obligated to do that. So thanks as always to all the staff and volunteers, virtual and in-person hosts and ushers, our fantastic tech team, all of you who make it possible for us to worship together week in and week out. And as Katya said, we are always welcoming new members to that team. So do be in touch with Hannah if you'd like to join us. And very special thanks this morning to all those who are contributing to the service itself, Robin Slaw and Tom Monroe, of course, who are regular contributors, but also to Kirsten Nelson and Krista Rand and Trish Steinhilber, all of whom are going to offer presentations that are both personal and informative for our topic today. Today is designated as United Nations Sunday a day on which UU congregations are encouraged to consider how the Unitarian Universalist Association's office at the United Nations is organizing to influence justice making on an international level. In honor of UN Sunday, you are invited to attend a virtual event this afternoon at four o'clock Eastern time, in which a group of experts, including our own Tim Latimer, will be speaking about what individuals and faith-based organizations can do to meet the ambitious goals of the Paris Agreement. There's more information, including a link to register about that on the UUCC events calendar. But for our service this morning, our theme is inspired by the topic of this past spring's UU at the UN intergenerational seminar. The theme was All In for Climate Justice, Food Equity and Sustainability. It is a topic that is so broad that it would be absolutely absurd to suggest that we're going to address it today in any depth or breadth. About as absurd as saying, this morning we are going to explore the origins and meaning of human existence. Still, we're going to explore this topic a little bit. When she was interviewed for the Rooted and Reaching podcast a few weeks ago, UUCC member Mary Rogers, whom you just saw up here, spoke of her own passion for climate justice work. Not only because she loves nature, not because the planet needs us, but because we, human beings, need the planet. And the more damage we do to the earth and her atmosphere, the worse it is for the human population. And those consequences are exponentially worse for people who already live on the margins, in poverty, because of racism, capitalism, greed, and other consequences of dominant power. So that's what we're going to touch on today. Examples of the unjust ways that other oppressions intersect with climate crisis 
and lead to even greater inequities among those who are already living with fewer resources and with the burdens of generations of systematized discrimination. In 2015, the UN General Assembly adopted an Agenda for Sustainable Development. It included 17 sustainable development goals to achieve by the target year of 2030. Some nations on our planet are actively working to achieve the goals by implementing targets as part of their national policy. The United States, not so much. Three of those sustainable development goals are directly relevant to the theme of food justice that we're talking about today. And so those are informing where we're focusing our attention this morning. End hunger, achieve food security and improved nutrition, and promote sustainable agriculture. That's one goal. <laughs> Making large-scale changes to our food and agricultural systems is necessary if we want to finally tackle world hunger and food insecurity once and for all. Another of the goals is reduce inequality within and among countries. Reducing inequality of access to healthy and nutritious food within and among countries is a prime component to achieving food justice. And the third is protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably manage forests, combat decertification, and halt and reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. Again, one goal. <laughs> because sustainable use of land and ecosystems is a crucial element to draw down or reversing the course of climate change by supporting techniques where carbon is captured from the atmosphere and trapped in plants or soil or the sea. Each one of these goals is huge and potentially overwhelming, but they're not impossible. Not with the just application of power. So today you are invited to consider how you will put your faith into action, organizing and exerting our collective power to influence political will and to make real change on this planet for the most vulnerable of our human siblings. So with that invitation, I invite you to take a deep breath because we live in a place where we can. Settle in. Open your body and your mind and your heart to this time together. And may the bell call us fully into this space of worship. And I'm so glad that this morning, Lil Lauren Tribe is going to light our flaming chalice with the help 
of Miss Robin. Thank you, little Lauren and Miss Robin. And we dedicate this flaming chalice with the words of Reverend Tanya Marquez, both in Spanish and in English, which I'm going to do myself, and I hope that I do them justice. Testigos del Mundo. Es ahora que estamos llamados a ser testigos del mundo, a enmendarlo, a cambiar su curso, a restaurarlo. Es ahora que somos llamados a vivir nuestros valores, a no escondernos, a no temer sino, a ser audaces y a hacer ruido. Es ahora que somos llamados a continuar nuestra lucha por la justicia a organizarnos, a organizarnos, a levantar las voces. Es ahora, reunamanos, démanos, valor unos a otros, celebremos. Witnesses of the world, it is now when we are called as witnesses of the world to mend it, to change its course, to restore it. It is now when we are called to act on our values, not to hide, not to fear, but to be bold and loud. It is now that we are called to continue our fight for justice, to organize, to speak up. It is now. Let us gather, let us give each other courage. Let us worship. Will you join now in speaking together the words of our congregational covenant, these promises that we make to one another and with one another in our community? They will appear on your screen. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now you are invited to greet your neighbors here in the sanctuary or on Zoom. Go to gallery view and look at everybody who's gathered with us. Those of you in the sanctuary, the camera is in the back by the exit sign. If you want to turn around and wave to everybody who's on Zoom. Good morning. Greet one another.
it's like an, um, a maze to get up here today. Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your director of religious education, and I'm really happy to be here with you this morning. So in case you're wondering about who these friends are that up, up, are up in front with me, we had a stuffy sleepover last night. So many of our children are not yet attending because they're not able to be vaccinated yet. And so we've held a couple stuffy sleepovers where they send their beloved friends to us. And we do lots of fun things with them. And then they spend the night here with us. And they're here to worship with us this morning and go to religious education outside. So uh, I will eventually make a video of all of their adventures because they had quite a few adventures yesterday. So I'm telling you a story today um, that comes from India. And it is about a heartless king and a hungry dog. So this king, this heartless king, he was very wealthy because he taxed people very high. He demanded tribute from them, money from them, and food from them, so much so that while he lived in a beautiful castle and had food piled high on his tables, all his people were very poor and lived in hovels and huts and maybe had enough food to eat once a day if they were lucky some of them not even that so one day a hunter appeared and he had with him an absolutely enormous dog he had come to try to teach a lesson to the king so the king he liked to hunt, he was a good hunter, and he was kind of fascinated by this enormous dog, so he said, come on in. And the hunter and the big dog entered, and all of a sudden, the dog began to bark. Roof, roof, and it was so loud that it shook the walls of the palace and everyone covered their ears. And the king cried, why is that dog barking so loudly? And the hunter said, he's hungry. So the king said, well, let's feed him because I can't take this noise, it's too much. And he sent his servants to go bring out a huge platter of meat. And the hungry dog wolfed down all of that meat and started barking again, roof, roof, so loud that it shook the walls. Why is he barking again? He's still hungry. So they brought out more food, and more food, and more food, and still the dog kept barking. So the king got confused, and he said, surely he can't be hungry now. And the hunter said, no, he's probably not hungry anymore but he will continue to bark until there is no one hungry in all of your land. Ooh. Hmm. So the king, who didn't really understand how heartless he was because he 
know, he was locked up in his castle, his palace, with all the food and everything. Didn't know what to do. So he called all his advisors in, and the advisor said, okay, let's figure this out. And they came back to the king and said, we must feed the people. So the king got it, and he sent all his servants and all his advisors to pull out bags and bags of food and they distributed them to the people around the palace. But the dog kept barking. I don't understand what's going on. Well, there are still hungry people out there. You have to keep feeding them until there's no one left who's hungry. And so that's what the king did. And he made sure that his wagons full of food went to every corner of the land. And finally, the big dog stopped barking. He stayed with the king for a few more years, and every once in a while he'd have to bark to make sure the king hadn't forgotten the lesson he'd learned. But eventually, after a few years, the dog was able to leave and go to a new land to teach a new king a lesson. So I want to do an activity with all of you, and I want the people who are online to help with this too. And Reverend Page is going to help with the online people. I have a few questions. But first, I need you to practice barking for me. So all of you who are here, would you please do a loud, loud bark? Oh, excellent job. Thank you. Okay, so I have some questions. If you think that this is true or the answer is yes, I would like you to bark loudly and then I'll come with a microphone and ask a question or ask you to explain why you think this is true. So, there's a teacher in a classroom who always calls on the same student. What do you think? Fair? Not fair? If it's not fair, please bark. Oh, okay, there's a few people that are barking. So, uh, while you're looking at online people to see if someone wants to answer, anyone here want to tell me why that's not fair? All right, I heard people barking, so somebody needs to volunteer, please. Okay. Well, it's, it's not fair because everybody wants to be called on. And right. if you come to school hoping the teacher's going to call on you, and he, she or he never does, it makes your education pretty sad. It's not fair. That's absolutely true. Thank you so much. Do we have anybody online? Anybody online want to respond to that question about why it's not fair? Or we use the raise the hand, uh, otherwise we'll go on to the next question. All right, oh, Diane Dunlap Okay. just raised Diane. her hand. Can we see Diane? All right, here? Diane, the host is going to unmute you. And there she is. All right, go ahead, Diane. Some students are afraid to raise their hand and they need a little support to uh, speak out. And they get the idea that only kids who behave in a certain way get to participate in class. You know, the, ah, you know, those kids. So that's why it's also important. Thank you, Diane. I think I was one of those kids when I was growing up. 
So I have one more question that I'd like to do with you. Jacob's family always has a big dinner and they have a different dessert every night. Tammy's family has sandwiches for dinner or soup from a can almost every night and very infrequently is able to have dessert because they can't afford to buy much food. So what do you think? Fair? Not fair? Bark if you think it's not fair. Oh, everybody's afraid to bark now in case I call on them. Is this fair or not fair? Okay, let's go to the Zoom raised hand first. Tina. It is unfair. Human beings have a right to food. Human beings definitely have a right for food. There's absolute truth to that. Okay, I think we're done. Mm -hmm. uh, children, please stay through the joys and sorrows, and we'll go out when the music starts playing. We'll have a chance to come and drop a stone before we head out to Ari. Thank you for the story and the barking for justice. Will you all please join me now for a few moments of quiet reflection and prayer. Great and Holy Spirit of life, of love, may we be nourished, nurtured, encouraged, knowing that love does exist among us. And may we hear the call of courage, of comfort, of healing that we have to offer with one, to one another with our love, with our care, with our hope that we might carry wherever we go. May all that has been shared among us today and all that remains unspoken be held gently, tenderly, and with fierce love. Let us share just a moment of quiet stillness together. Amen. Blessed be.
Earlier this year, as a way to cultivate a culture of abundance and generosity throughout the year, UUCC Stewardship Council instituted the practice of offering a generosity minute during worship each month. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Gail Thompson-Guy to the lectern to share why she invests her resources in UUCC. Good morning, everyone. My name is Gail Thompson Guy. And as most of you know, I've been a member of UUCC since its founding. So in the beginning, we met in a 400 square foot building that was the Howard County YMCA. The kids met in the basement in an area which, during the week, was the Boy Scouts' BB gun target range. The rent was $25 a month, and we passed the hat. And everyone put something in it. Then we needed a coffee pot, so we passed the hat, and everyone put something in it. Now we have this building and an amazing staff with stunning programs for our kids and adults both here and out in the community. I put the most I can into every year the annual operational fund to help keep us running smoothly. Because I can't imagine us losing any staff or programs, let alone the building. I remember friends and family with small gifts and have a gift in my will to the endowment fund. Because I can't imagine UUCC not being here. I helped build and expand our building so all of us can meet under one roof. John and I have invested in the UUA planned giving programs to benefit both UUCC and the UUA so it can continue to develop the religious education programs and to help us find new ministers when we need. It gives me such satisfaction and joy, an immense sense of community, being part of it. As long as I live, I can't imagine never having those feelings again. And with that spirit of generosity, all of you are invited to give freely and generously of your financial gifts, which will now be gratefully received either in the basket in the back of the sanctuary or electronically online. Thank you.
Thank you, Tom. As our climate leadership team and I planned this service, we considered numerous examples of how the intersections of oppressions and vulnerabilities exacerbate the devastating effects of the climate crisis. So it is with humility and gratitude that I welcome UUCC newcomer Krista Rand, as well as long-timers Trish Steinhilber and Kirsten Nelson, to share glimpses into three of those examples. First, we're going to hear from Krista and then Trish, and then we'll hear from Kirsten after we sing together. Krista. Good morning. I'm Dr. Krista Rand, and it's kind of hard to stand up here this morning, not just to speak publicly about the things I used to disclose only to intimates, and then usually only after the fact. It's actually hard to stand up here because I want a place here, and I am going to describe myself as unequivocally, indisputably, not the right sort in a country that is uncomfortable talking about class. And actually, in remembrance of what I have needed from the UU congregations that I have been a part of on every occasion where I was hungry and shivering, and in solidarity with those who are experiencing those conditions now, I will instead try to offer what comfort I can. I'm going to make a number of statements. After each statement, I'm going to say, I am with you. If you are so moved, you may join me. To those who are turning the heat down to just above the off switch, lest their heat be cut off entirely, I am with you. To those who cannot afford to take a day off from their low-wage job to interview for a much better job, I am with you. To those who have worn their social safety net threadbare due to the desperation of their circumstances, I am with you. To those who cannot afford to work because of the cost of childcare, I am with you. To those who cannot afford to leave a relationship or who are forced to stay in one for a state-mandated waiting period, I am with you. To those who are weeping, not in pain, the pain is always there, but in frustration after a crippling medical issue because you are the breadwinner and there is no one else. I am with you. To those who have given up on close relationships for the time being because you grew up in instability and it's slowly dawning that this is also true of everyone else trapped here with you. I am with you. To those who are reflecting, that this is actually an excellent time for depression to hit because it's easier to stay within your food budget when everything tastes like ashes. I am with you. I am with you. I'm not gonna end on a note of triumph. I don't have any easy solutions because these are systemic problems. But every day that I have respite from those conditions, I will work on ending them. I am with you. Thank you.
Thank you for sharing. That was very moving. Good morning, everyone. I'm Trish Steinhuber, a longtime member of this congregation, and I'm going to say a few words here today about hunger, one of those uh, UN sustainability goals, eliminating hunger. I will say, as someone who's watched this situation closely over the past 25 years, that there's been tre tremendous uh, gains made in this century. We looked towards this century as a time to get rid of hunger, and there was a huge millennial project. And the latest data shows that we've had great improvements. Those lines are going down fast in terms of the number of hungry people. So I was astounded when I looked at the latest figures and found that 9% of the global population is still severely food insecure. Hunger has gradations, you know, in the professional literature. So let me tell you what severely food insecure means. It means you do not eat enough calories to maintain your life. You are lethargic, right? Not to mention the vitamins and minerals nutrition uh, insufficiencies. 9%, that's 700 million people as of 2020. Of course, we know we have problems in America. If you watched the TV at all this last year, you saw long lines of families at food banks. It appears that in 2020, 10% of American households were still food insecure. Here's how we want to define that one. You went without some meals. You went without food some days. You didn't have enough food to eat when you did eat. 10% of America. But there's a different kind of hunger that some people experience too. And this is particularly true in our cities. There are places where, because you don't have personal transportation, you can't get to what I'll call a full-service food market, one that has some nutrient-dense food, some uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. Right? These places have been called food deserts. And while there are some people that object to that term, I understand why, I get a pretty clear idea of what you mean when you call something a food desert. You may be able to buy food at the local convenience store, but it's not the kind of stuff you want to live on. It's high in highly refined foods, uh, fat, salt, sugar, with very, very few options that might contain vitamins and minerals. Do we have food deserts in America? In virtually every city, we have some food deserts. So I want to share with you information about two people in Baltimore who are working very hard to do something about the food desert in their community. First of all, I'd like you to meet Farmer Chippy. If you'll show Farmer Chippy, please. Very interesting person. He's the man on the left. It's one of his young interns. Uh, he's on the right. His young intern's on the left. A native of Trinidad and Tobago, he has a degree in electrical engineering and worked for several decades keeping high-tech equipment, diagnostic equipment in hospitals working and in the research labs in the area universities. He's left that behind, and he now operates a farm called the Plantation Park Heights Urban Farm. It's on Park Heights Avenue, northwest of Druid Hills Park. He has a five-year lease from the city, and if you'll show that photo again for a minute, you can see the row houses behind it, all right? The land he's farming is the footprint of five former houses in a courtyard, which were destroyed when they became derelict and their taxes were long overdue, all right? On that land, he grows food for the people who work with him. He has a core of 15 multi-generational volunteers who help him carry this out. His primary goal is to train 
young people to grow food and to eliminate poverty in a, in a broader level. So far, he's trained 50 young people in food production who can then go on and grow food closer to their own homes. In addition, once COVID started, he got involved with a food aggregator. Now, these are companies that have shown up recently that take food from small farmers who may not um, be attractive to the big supermarkets, aggregate it together over many farms, and then distribute it in boxes to NGOs that get it out to the people who need it. He purchases and distributes 300 food boxes a week. All right, all of which was grown within 250 miles of here, and whenever we can, it's organically grown. He's a strong believer in sustainable communities. He's a strong believer in getting the next generation prepared to be food independent. One of his goals, and this really warmed my heart, is to have a food triangle for every child. Have each child have a food-bearing plant at home, have a school garden that he can go to during the day, and have a neighborhood farm within walking distance that he could go to after school. As he says, every community needs a farm, decentralized food production. Another individual is Ulysses Archie, the founder of the Baltimore Gift Economy. I met Ulysses about five years ago when he came to a workshop I was doing for urban farmers on uh, soils and plant nutrition, and he was a delightful person. I learned a little bit about his own system then, but I learned much more about him in a chat that I had with him recently. He raises food crops and animals in his backyard, and he's convinced his neighbors to join him, so essentially they have a common backyard where they have trees and, and fruit and vegetable crops and chickens and a pig and rabbits. I have got to go visit him someday. He also works with small clusters of families to establish gardens in their neighborhood. By doing this with several families, he's hoping there's always enough human power to get the job done. He also plants them in such a way that there's probably excess food, so they in turn meet their needs and give it away to someone else. In addition to that, he comes out to Howard County twice a week and rescues food that's about to reach the sellout date from two, from two of our stores, Roots in um, Clarksville and um, Moms in Jessup. All right? He brings that food back, stores it in a friend's large cooler, and one day a week distributes that to 200 families in his neighborhood. Now, I think there's a good story behind this, too. Why, I said, Ulysses, do you come all the way to Howard County to get food? So he tells me, well, I had a deal with a giant close to the city line, but they got a new manager, and the manager thought that he would cut sales by giving food away. He approached another locally owned food store in Baltimore County about their excess food, their food that's about to go outdated. And they said he could only have it be distributed in Baltimore County, not in Baltimore City. Ouch. That's the kind of thing you think but don't say. Hmm? In addition to his other work, he distributes 300 quarts of homemade soup from the Pearlstone Retreat Center in Reisterstown. Now, this is a full-blown retreat center that had a full schedule of conferences and meetings when COVID hit. They also have an organic farm. So they decided to start an emergency food response program by making their food into soup and distributing it. Since COVID started, Ulysses has been distributing 300 quarts of soup a week. So I was impressed enough with coming from Baltimore out to Howard County twice a week, and then I said, Reister's Town, 300 jars of soup, how do you do this? 
he says, well, we have a system of porch pickups. I put enough soup for a number of families on one porch, and they come to get that, and I only distribute it to, to the porches. People from there cooperate with one another, let people come to their porch, go to other people's porches, and pick up the soup. Both of these individuals want gardens all over the cities to build food production capacity, and I couldn't agree more. We've had that in the past, and we need it again. Both of them are very committed to sustainable communities, people depending upon one another and helping one another. How did they accomplish this? Well, uh, Farmer Chippy was very clear about the fact that he uses some of his savings, but he also solicits donations and writes grants. Ulysses does the same. He contributes 10% of his family's income to, his, to the Baltimore gift economy, as well as writing grants and soliciting donations. I know we already do a lot for food security here in Howard County. I'm very proud of our food insecure, um, our box outside, the work that Margaret and her team are doing to get food from Giant that's coming off the shelf, what we do at the Day One Center. But I think it might behoove us to extend our generosity and our abundance a little beyond our county to some other people who already have a very well-run system, who know their community well, and are highly connected to it. Thanks for listening to me. Thank you, Trish. Thank you, Krista. Will you all raise your voices and your bodies, if you will, certainly your spirits, as we sing together, our world is one world. The verses will appear, the lyrics will appear on your screen. from Kirsten. Good morning. Today I want to talk about an environmental justice issue involving the loss of Black agricultural land over the last 100 plus years, mainly in the South. I'll discuss a few different reasons why this happened in the past, and then I'll focus on a current issue called heirs' property. Heir meaning one who inherits property from their ancestor. Beginning as early as 1900, the U.S. Department of Agriculture contributed to the issues of Black land loss by discriminating against farmers through denying and delaying loans, 
reducing the loans that were given, and failing to provide technical assistance, which is critical to have a successful agricultural business. Other historical factors that led to Black land loss were Black farmers that and producers that fled the land during the Great Migration, North and West, to avoid Jim Crow laws and lynchings in the South. The lack of access to capital and credit from USDA and county agricultural committees that led to mass foreclosures. In some cases, Black farmers were not allowed to enter banking institutions or courthouses to try to rectify the situation. And related to what I'm going to talk about today, um, is the illegal taking of land by partition sales, fraudulent sales, tax sales, and other forced land sales. And that is the heirs' property is issue. This system has led to land loss of over 80% of Black agricultural land in the South since 1910. This issue also impacts Latinx landowners in the Southwest, Indigenous owners on tribal lands, and white farmers in Appalachia. So how does heirs' property fit into this overall equation? It's a complex issue, and I don't have time to explain it in detail, but I can provide a high-level overview. Heirs' property is created when a property owner dies without a will, and the land passes to the living heirs. Often in Black families, this happens over numerous generations, and the number of living heirs can be substantial. Over the generations, it can be 25, 50 people, even more in some large families with many siblings. Because the title of the land is still in the original owner's name, and that could stretch back to the early 1900s, the title is considered cloudy. Without a clean title, landowners cannot gain a farm track number from the USDA, which means that the owner cannot take part in USDA programs to get technical assistance, obtain loans or grants, or take advantage of many of the USDA programs that are so critical to success. Without a track number, farmers are not eligible for disaster relief, such as flood, drought, or hurricane relief that's been so prevalent in the last few decade, decades, and they are not eligible for COVID funds that were widely distributed to white farmers and producers over the last 18 months. So why not just clear the title and make a family succession plan? Well. Clearing the title requires an attorney and can take years, meaning it's cost prohibitive to most. And remember, the cloudy titles stem from systemic racism in the rural South in the late 1800s and throughout the 1900s. And it's not something that can just be easily fixed, especially for those families that have already lost their land. It also involves investigators, DNA testing, searching through archived historical records, that may or may not even exist anymore. Every single living heir must be located and verified. And if the family can't hire a lawyer and others to help them with this process, the courts can require a partition sale. A single heir can force the sale in which the land is sold, typically well below market value. And then after the legal fees and the attorneys are paid, the re remaining money is distributed to the living heirs but typically for only pennies on the dollar for what the land is actually worth. This is especially devastating if an heir is living and farming on that land. Once the partition sale takes place, they are evicted from the property. So why would a single heir decide to force a partition sale? There are a lot of reasons this, for this, and as we know, families can be complicated. 
but the recent trend has seen real estate developers make deals with a single heir to force the sale and then pay that heir a determined sum of money for doing it. But it isn't just developers, corporate farms and other farmers looking to buy cheap land far below market rate often make similar deals with a single heir. Some of the land has been developed into high-priced suburban communities with expensive re retail space where heirs certainly can't afford to live, even though that land might have been in their family for generations. The good news, numerous organizations are working on the heirs' property issue. Many provide direct legal services, which is the best option to help families retain their land. The 2018 Farm Bill included a section to simplify the process to obtain a USDA track number, even with a cloudy title, opening up funding, grants, and other loan opportunities. And the Biden administration designated $4 billion in loan forgiveness intended to address the long history of racial injustice in American farming. However, this program was halted the day before funds were to be released by a group of white farmers who challenged the program, claiming that it violates their right to equal protection under the law. The lawsuit will not likely be resolved by the end of Biden's four-year term, upon which the program can be eliminated. Environmental justice encompasses so many issues and land ownership is fundamental to addressing issues of conservation, pollution control, overdevelopment, and it provides rural communities local healthy food. It provides jobs and income security. Please take some time to learn more about Air's property by visiting any of the websites on the screen. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsten. At this spring's seminar of the UU Office at the United Nations, the keynote address was delivered by Leah Penniman of the Soul Fire Farm, an Afro-Indigenous-centered community farm in Grafton, New York. In that address, Penniman said this, racism and injustice are built into the DNA of the US food system. Beginning with the genocidal land theft from indigenous people, continuing with the kidnapping of black people from the shores of West Africa for forced agricultural labor, morphing into convict leasing, expanding to the migrant guest worker program, and maturing into its current state where farm management is among the whitest professions, farm labor is predominantly brown and exploited, and people of color disproportionately live in so-called food apartheid neighborhoods and suffer from diet-related illnesses. The system is built on stolen land and stolen labor. It is working as designed. The system is working as designed. So let's undesign it. Let's redesign it. In our service planning over the past month, 
We have talked with great admiration and appreciation about the dedication and commitment demonstrated by members of this congregation, you, who work to make sure that members of our community who are hungry, who are food insecure, have food to eat. Through our free little, little free pantry, bags of groceries given to families of school children, meals served at the Route One Day Center, members' involvement in Columbia Community Care, you are doing work that matters. Thank you to every one of you who contributes donations, to the team of you who is committed to showing up day in and day out to make sure those donations go where they need to be. This kindness and care for one another, it matters. And there is that old moral tale that you probably all know about not only pulling dead babies out of the river, but also traveling upriver to determine why those babies are dying in the river in the first place and doing something to stop that. The system is working as designed. Let's undesign it, redesign it. Today, we've heard about how the costs of childcare and single parenthood and mental health crises limit one's so-called ethical food options. We've heard about food deserts. We've heard about the systematically reinforced barriers that keep black and indigenous families from sustainably farming their own family's land. These are just a few examples of how the system needs to be addressed and modified, undesigned, redesigned. We know that our individual actions in our homes alone won't change the large-scale problems that are plaguing our world. And just as our kindness and our care for one another matter, these individual actions do matter. In the Yes Magazine guide on how to get rid of throwaway culture, we're reminded that we need equitable policies and systems change, but every one of us is a consumer, and taking steps to consume wisely is still very important. Individual actions empower us to demand more from corporations and governments and to ultimately change social norms. So keep doing those individual things in your consumption of food, your use of plastics and clothing, and so much more that makes capitalist society unsustainable. No single raindrop believes it's responsible for the flood, as the saying goes. All of our raindrops matter. And, and we know that what is necessary to make large-scale change is political will and money. Power. Do you have discretionary funds that you'd like to contribute to some of the efforts you've heard about this morning? Then give to the Plantation Park Heights Urban Farm or to Ulysses Archie's Baltimore Gift Econ Economy, both of which you heard about from Trish. The people on Zoom are going to see all of these links in the chat, and we're going to publish something in the link on Tuesday so that everybody has access to these resources. Kirsten tells me that the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund, that was one of the things on her last slide, is doing amazing work to address the issue of heirs' property. 
After I previewed her video, I asked Kirsten if there's anything we can do to influence that lawsuit that she mentioned at the end, and she said no. That now that it is in the federal courts, it just has to play out. But also, oh, and she said the last time there was a major case to get reparations for black farmers, the Pigford case, it took over 12 years for it to reach a conclusion. However, she does say that there is a Uniform Heirs Property Act that some states have adopted to make it easier to clear titles and ensures due process. But Maryland has not adopted or even introduced it yet. And there are heirs property issues on the Eastern Shore. So we could write to our state representatives and request that they introduce a bill and work to get it passed. It's called the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act. Similarly, the UU office at the UN encourages us to write our elected officials and demand that the United States pays its fair share to the Green Climate Fund. Write to our elected officials in support of bills like the Justice for Black Farmers Act, calling for reforms in the Department of Agriculture to address the history of discrimination against black farmers and ranchers. Here in UUCC, Keep acting in kindness and care for one another through the food insecurity direct service effort. And attend that November 7th climate annual meeting that Mary talked about earlier this morning. Add your voice and your power to increase our collective efforts to influence larger scale systemic change. The UU office at the United Nations has a whole toolkit about actions to take for sustainable development goals. Maybe our UUCC climate team will commit to some of those actions here in our congregation. The system is working as designed. It does not have to be that way. We are people of faith who see the world as it is and believe that it is in our power to create the world as it should be. So let's undesign it, redesign it, continue to learn, remain kind and caring and vigilant, and let's harness our collective power to make real change in service of love and justice and true sustainability. So may it be. Amen. Our service is nearing its end, but let's sing together just once more. We are not our own. Will you please rise in spirit and or in body?
In the novel Ishmael, author Daniel Quinn writes, the premise of the taker story is the world belongs to man. The premise of the lever story is man belongs to the world. Are we to be takers or leavers? Do we believe the world belongs to humankind or that we humans belong to the world? Too often we act as if the former is true. And yet, as we just sang, we know we are not our own. We belong to the world. Let us go and live and act as if it is true. Amen. The forest and mountains are gone With no one left behind We are called to save the earth We are called to love our home We are called Chase our ways and live in harmony with all creations. When will we realize that what we're doing now is for the children of tomorrow? of our comforts and greedy of our power we are called to save we are called to love our home we are called to chase our Heart.
Vem e me abraça, me leva pra beira do Icarapé Uma paz escorre nas mãos que vão me fazer Que a folha da vida começa agora Ilhas de mel são rios de mel, remansos e correnteza Sertão das águas, vamos quando quer é bater e valer Sertão canoa das populações ribeirinhas que vivem nos frutos da mata e que não podem a floresta ver destruída. Não venha o fogo queimar, então não poder arrastar pra que a vida queira pulsar e correr. Rede que embala o amor em lambuza de tambatajá. Lábios com fino ligou sede de sílabos. O meu pensamento voa. Bioneering as we go, 
with bold innovations. Local as can be, oh yes we can. On and on and on. Sustainability, power to the people. Honoring the children. Sustainability, love for generations. and compassion sustainability restoring every nation mm, on and on and on sustainability the more we get together sustain respectful love Diversity. Sustain. Caring community. Sustain. Conscious parenting. Emotional intelligence. Nonviolence. Safe environments. Ethical commerce. Sustainability. On and on and on. Sustainability. Power to the people. Mm, honoring the children. Sustainability. Love for generations. Kindness and compassion. Sustainability, restoring every nation. Mm, on and on and on. Sustainability, the more we get together.